Hello my friends, this is Nikki. Thank you for joining me today. Today we'll be talking about a day in the life of the Christ child in Egypt. We begin with Maria Valtorta, Poem of the Man-God, Volume 1. The place is in Egypt. I have no doubt because I see the desert and a pyramid. There is a small house with a single floor, a ground floor, completely white. A poor house of very poor people. The walls are just plastered and whitewashed. There are two doors, one near the other leading into the only two rooms of the house. The little house is in the middle of a small piece of sandy ground, enclosed by a fence of canes fixed into the ground. The little piece of ground has been patiently cultivated as a little garden notwithstanding that the earth is arid and poor. There is a little black and white goat tied in the yard, and nearby on a mat on the ground there is the child Jesus. I think he must be two years old, or two and a half at the very most. He is playing with some little pieces of carved wood, which look like little sheep or little horses. He is quiet and smiling, very beautiful. His little head is a mass of very thick golden curls. His skin is clear and rosy. His eyes are live and bright of a deep blue color. His tunic is white with short sleeves. At present he has nothing on his feet. His tiny sandals are on the mat and they too are being used as a toy by the child who is placing his little animals on the mat and then pulls the sandal by the strap as if it were a little cart. A little further away, sitting also in the shade of the tree, there is Our Lady. She is weaving at a rustic loom and watching the child. I can see her slender white hands moving backwards and forwards, throwing the shuttle on the weft, while her foot, shod in a sandal, is moving the petal. She is wearing a tunic the color of mallow flowers, a rosy violet. She is bareheaded. Her hair is golden and parted, forming two simple plates which gather at the nape of her neck. She looks very young. She looks about twenty years old. At a certain moment she gets up, bends over the child, puts his sandals back on again and ties them carefully. She then pats him and kisses his little head and his beautiful eyes. The child prattles and she answers, but I do not understand the words. She takes Jesus by the hand and lifts him from his mat. The child obeys without any resistance, while his mother picks up his toys and the mat and takes them into the house. Mary comes back. Now she is wearing a long veil on her head and is carrying an amphora in her hand. She takes Jesus by the hand and they both start walking, turning round the little house towards the other side. Our Lady adjusts her steps to that of the child's, and the child toddles and trips along beside her. I see that on the front of the house the hedge is broken by a rustic gate, which Mary opens to go out onto the road. I do not see anybody. Mary looks toward the center of the town, not towards the country, as if she were waiting for someone. I can now see Joseph coming along the road. He is not very tall, but he is well built. He is smiling. He may be forty years old at most. His hair and beard are thick and black, and his skin is tanned and his eyes are dark. He has an honest, pleasant face, inspiring confidence. 
When he sees Jesus and Mary, he quickens his step. On his left shoulder, he carries the tools of his trade. He is probably coming back after working in somebody's house. Mary smiles, and the child utters cries of joy when they see him, and he stretches out the hand which is free. When the three meet, Joseph bends down and offers the child a fruit, which I think is an apple by its color and shape. Mary takes his tools. He then stretches his arms, and the child leaves his mother and cuddles in the arms of Joseph, bending his little head into the cavity of Joseph's neck. He kisses him and is kissed by him, a scene full of loving grace. Then Joseph, who was crouched down on the ground to be at the same height as Jesus, stands up, takes his tools with his left hand, and holds little Jesus tight to his strong chest with his right arm. And he moves towards the house, while Mary goes to the fountain to fill her amphora. After entering the enclosure of the house, Joseph puts the child down, takes Mary's loom into the house, and then he milks the goat. Jesus watches all these activities carefully, and in particular the closing up of the little goat in a little closet in one side of the house. It is now getting dark. Joseph goes into the house, into a room which must be his workshop, the kitchen, the dining room, all in one. The other room is obviously the bedroom, but I do not go in there. The fire is lit in a low fireplace. There is a carpenter's bench, a small table, some stools, some shelves with two oil lamps, and some kitchenware on them. In a corner there is Mary's loom, and a very great deal of order and cleanliness, a very poor dwelling, but very clean. And this is a remark I wish to make. In all the visions concerning the human life of Jesus, I have noticed that both he and Mary, as well as Joseph, were always tidy and clean, both in their garments and their bodies. They wear modest and simple garments, but they are so clean that they look like gentlemen in them. Mary comes back with the amphora, and the door is closed on the rapidly growing dark. The room is illuminated by a lamp which Joseph has lit and placed on his bench, where he now starts working on some little boards, while Mary is preparing supper. Also the fire illuminates the room. Jesus, with his little hands leaning on the bench and his little head turned upwards, is watching what Joseph is doing. Then they sit down at the table after saying their prayers. Mary is holding Jesus in her lap and makes him drink some of the goat's milk, into which she dips some small slices of bread. In the meantime, Joseph eats some bread and cheese, a small slice of cheese and a lot of bread. Then Mary sits Jesus on a little stool near her and brings some cooked vegetables to the table. Their supper ends with some olives or dates. There is no wine. This is the supper of poor people. But there is so much peace in this room and so much harmony. Jesus now speaks to us and he says, The things that you see teach you and others the lesson. It is a lesson of humility, resignation, and good harmony, a lesson given as an example to all Christian families, and particularly to the Christian families in this especially sorrowful age. You have seen a poor house, and what is more saddening, a poor house in a foreign country. Many people, 
only because they are fairly good Christians who pray and receive me in the Holy Eucharist, and pray and receive me for their needs, not for the needs of their souls, and for the glory of God, because only seldom those who pray are not selfish. Many people would pretend to have a prosperous, happy, and easy material life, well protected even from the least pain. Joseph and Mary had me, true God, as their son, yet they did not even have the meager satisfaction of being poor in their own country, where they were known, where at least there was their own little house, and the problem of a dwelling did not add a harassing thought to their many problems in the country where, as they were known, it was easier for them to find work and provide for the needs of their lives. They were two refugees just because they had me. A different climate, a different country, so sad in comparison with the sweet countryside of Galilee. A different language, different habits, living amongst people who did not know them and who generally distrusted refugees and people they did not know. Mary and Joseph were deprived of those comfortable and dear pieces of furniture of their little house, of so many humble and necessary things they had there, and which did not seem to be so necessary, whereas here, in the void that surrounds them, seem even beautiful like the luxurious things that make the houses of rich people so charming. And they felt nostalgia both for their country and for their home. They worried about the poor things they had left behind, about the little kitchen garden where probably no one would take care of their vines and their figs and the other useful plants, and they had to provide every day for food, clothes, fire, and for me, a child, whom they could not feed with the same food they took themselves, and they were sad at heart because of their homesickness, because of the uncertainty of the future and the lack of trust of people who are reluctant, particularly at first, to accept the offer of work of two unknown people. And yet, as you have seen yourself, that house is pervaded with serenity, smiles, harmony, and by mutual consent they endeavor to make it more beautiful, even in its scanty little kitchen garden, that it may be more like the more comfortable one they had to leave behind. They have only one thought, that the land may be less hostile and less unpleasant for me, since I come from God. It is the love of believers and relatives which reveals itself in many ways, from the little goat they purchased with many hours of extra work, to the little toys carved in scraps of wood, to the fruit purchased only for me, while they denied themselves a morsel of food. O beloved Father of mine on the earth, how loved you have been by God, by God Father in the most high heavens, by God Son, who became the Savior on the earth. In that house there is no quick temper, no sulkiness, no grim faces, neither is there any reproach against each other, and least of all against the God who has not loaded them with material wealth. Joseph does not reproach Mary as being the cause of his discomfort, neither does Mary reproach Joseph because he is incapable of procuring greater worldly goods. They love each other in a holy way, that is all, and therefore they do not worry about their own comfort, 
but only about the comfort of their consort. True love is not selfish, and true love is always chaste, even if it is not perfect in chastity, as the love of the two virgin spouses. Chastity, united to charity, yields a suite of other virtues, and therefore two people who love each other chastely become perfect. The love of Mary and Joseph was perfect, therefore it was an incentive to every other virtue, and in particular to charity towards God, blessed every hour, notwithstanding his holy will is painful for the flesh and the heart, blessed because above the flesh and above the heart the spirit was more lively and stronger in the two saints and they exalted the Lord with gratitude because they had been chosen as guardians of His eternal Son. In that house they prayed. You pray too little in your homes nowadays. The sun rises and sets, you start your work, and you sit at the table without a thought for the Lord, who has granted you to see a new day, and then to live and see a new night, who has blessed your work, and has made it the means for you to purchase the food, the fire, the clothes, the house which are so necessary for your human lives. Whatever comes from God is good. Even if it is poor and meager, God gives it flavor and body, the love that allows you to see in the eternal Creator, the Father who loves you. In that house there is frugality, and it would be there even if there was plenty money, they eat to live. They do not eat to satisfy their gluttony with the insatiability of gluttons and the whims of epicures who fill themselves to the extent of being sick and squander fortunes on expensive food without giving one thought to those who are without or with little food, without considering that if they were moderate, many people could be relieved of the pangs of hunger. In that house, they love work, and they would love it even if there was plenty money, because the working man obeys the command of God and frees himself from vice, which, like tenacious ivy, clenches and suffocates idle people who are immovable rocks. Food is good, rest is serene, hearts are happy when you have worked well and you enjoy the resting time between one job and the next one. Neither in the houses nor in the minds of those who love work can many-sided vice arise. And in its absence, love, esteem, reciprocal respect prosper and tender children grow in a pure atmosphere and they thus become the origin of future holy families. Humility reigns in that house. What a lesson of humility for the proud. Mary, from a human point of view, had a thousand reasons to be proud and to be adored by her spouse. Many women are proud only because they are a little better educated, or of nobler birth, or of a wealthier family than their husbands. Mary is the spouse and the mother of God, and yet she serves her consort and does not expect to be served. She serves him full of love. Joseph is the head of the family, judged by God so worthy of being the head of a family as to be entrusted by God with the guardianship of the Word incarnate, 
and the spouse of the internal spirit. And yet he is anxious to relieve Mary of her work, and he takes care of the most humble jobs in the house, so that Mary may not get tired, not only, but whenever he can, he does his best to please her, and make her house more comfortable, and her little garden more beautiful. In that house, order is respected, supernatural, moral, and material. God is the supreme head, and he is worshipped and loved, supernatural order. Joseph is the head of the family, and he is loved, respected, and obeyed, and that is moral order. The house is a gift of God as well as the clothes and the furnishings. The providence of God is shown in everything, of God who supplied wool to the sheep, feathers to the birds, grass to meadows, hay to animals, grains and branches to birds, who weaves the dress of the lily of the valley. The house, the dresses, the furnishings are accepted with gratitude, blessing the divine hand that supplies them, looking after them with respect as gifts of the Lord, without any bad humor because they are poor, without ill use, without abusing divine providence, and that is material order. The things that you saw are a great lesson. Meditate on them, you all who now suffer so much because you failed in so many things towards God, also in those things in which the holy spouses never failed, the spouses who were my mother and father. And rejoice, remembering little Jesus. Smile, thinking of his little steps of a child. In a short time you will see him walking under the cross, and then it will be a vision of tears. I would just like to add that I think that Jesus is reminding us of gratitude, of being grateful for what we do have and not always longing for what we don't have. If we take time in our lives to be grateful for the house we have, for the sky not raining on us, for children being healthy and happy, for having each other, uh, for having employment, uh, for all the simple things that make life, life, even with its challenges, even with its difficulties, even though some days are so hard and, and lonely or trying or aggravating or annoying, still we have so much to be grateful for. And I think if we focus on God and on gratitude and on prayer, we will uplift our own hearts. We will make our own lives happier and more enriched and more worthy of God's love. We have to realize that God takes very good care of us, just as he took very good care of the Virgin Mary and Joseph as they cared for their son, Jesus. So we must realize that God is taking very good care of us all the time. And that doesn't mean that life has to always be easy or smooth, but it means that within the difficulties of our life, we can still find peace and serenity and gratitude and hope and prayer and happiness. So I wish all of those things for you. Increase your knowledge of God. Strengthen your spiritual relationship with God and you will feel that you always have a friend with you going through all the trials of your life. 
And remember to say thank you. Thank you for everything that I have. Thank you. Please join me for episode 21.